0: in chapter 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? If you can raise your hand. Uh, let's pray before we begin. If there's a little clock back there. That would be good. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time that we can Open up your word. Lord, our, our desire is for our hearts as they're exposed to your word to be changed. Lord, we came here to be changed. We came here to, to be men and women who are those who pursue your heart, who seek after your heart. Because we know your heart, and what we see, we love so much, we seek it and pursue it. And Lord, as we open up the book of Genesis, Lord, there's so much in there about Christ, about your Son, about the Holy Spirit. all of that to us this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham, about 40 years at least, depending upon which Bible commentator you listen to, has a major, well, falters in his faith in a rather... Heavy way he repeats an uh, he repeats an earlier faltering of faith that he had done in Egypt probably fifteen years at least before where he's in the land of Gerar. And the king there, Abimelech, uh, sees his wife. The people of the land see his wife. He says, oh, she's Sarah, she's, um, she's my sister. And he t- Abimelech takes her and has a dream in the night. And God tells him, what are you doing with that woman? <laughs> she's someone else's wife. And Abimelech goes to Abraham, what are you doing to me? Are you trying to destroy me and give Sarah back as well as a lot of possessions uh, that he had, a lot of, of, of gifts? He, he gives Abraham and Sarah sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and a thousand pieces of silver. Someone pointed out to me after last Sunday night, you forgot to mention just how astounding it is in verse 17 that Abraham prays to God and God healed Abimelech. And isn't that amazing that right after a major faltering of faith, sin, that doesn't hinder in any way Abraham going before God the Father, and as we discussed this morning, what he binds on earth is bound in heaven, and there's there's healing there. As we have been going over and over again in the first two chapters of Ephesians, what God sees when he sees us is very different than who we see when we look in the mirror. We see flawed people. The Bible says that God sees us holy and blameless in Christ. And provided that we let go of our sin, we repent of it, we can go right into the altar, right behind the veil, to the holy place, and and ask the Lord, and intercede on behalf of others. Oh, does the devil trick us into thinking, no, no, he can't be powerful in prayer unless you're in the penalty box for at least a few months. But he prays for Abimelech, Abraham does. they are healed. The wombs of the um, house of Abimelech had been closed up, they were healed. But then more astonishingly, if that is a word, verse one chapter 21, and the Lord visited Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So you see, Abraham's lack of faithfulness does not thwart the faithfulness of God. God had given this promise many, many years before that he would, um, that she would have uh, a son, and he takes this well. Well, again, at least 40 years into his faith, this major faltering of of faith and. That's just encouraging to me. That every day when we wake up, 10 years into our walk, 10 months, 20 years, 40 years, when we wake up, there's a clean sheet of grace. Wiped clean completely. And the promises of God still stand. Yes verse 1 and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him referring to uh, a year earlier they had been told a year from now you're going to have a son verse 3 and Abraham called the name of his son who had born to him who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him Isaac, which means laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He was gonna. He would die when he's one hundred and sixty. So he has plenty of time to enjoy his. Uh, his son, his daughter. I, I do wonder sometimes, uh, from time to times, you know, someone will have a, a guy, a man will have a kid when he's uh, um, sixty or seventy years old, and that may or may not be. Um, that that's not that that cannot be outside of the will of God, but um, you know, it's uh, when someone's having a kid at sixty or seventy years old. They may not be able to enjoy their, their child for very long. Abraham did for 60 years, it says here. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. All who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and it weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. So Isaac's scoffing here. He's about four, rather, Ishmael is scoffing here at Isaac. He's about 14 or 15 years old now. And he's, in some way, he's mocking this 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 young child, on the day of a feast of all things. Verse 10 says there, For Sarah said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Referring to Ishmael there. Ishmael was Abraham's son. Abraham loved Ishmael. And now he's in this place where his wife Sarah is like, you got to get this kid out of here. He's causing problems. He's mocking my son. He's going to affect the upbringing of my son. So Verse 12 says, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. So it's interesting there. It says, listen to her voice. I can't tell you how much marriage counseling I do, and I do a lot. Where a big source of the problem in the marriage counseling is the man's and the woman's lack of understanding of what biblical submission is, and so oftentimes you have this man in there. He's you know, you know pushing his chest out. <clears throat> I think it was maybe evolution may be true. You know he's like pounding his chest and this type of stuff. Evolution's not true, but uh, the science is awful. But, um, uh, and, and they'll bring up, well, you know, she's saying this to me and that to me, and we should be doing things this way or that way. The fact of the matter is, a woman biblically submitted to her husband is supposed to have a wonderful prophetic voice in the marriage. I mean, I can't tell you how often. I mean, I'm at the time, 28 years into my marriage, where I plead with my wife, prophesy to me, please, tell me what we're supposed to do. I'm actually, I go directly to the Lord, but I go to my wife as well. But, uh, you know, anyway, um, a godly man appreciates the voice of his wife. And it's completely consistent with a biblical relationship where there's, where there's a submission um, on the part of the wife. And so God says to Abraham, L- do whatever, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, it says here. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, keep in mind, Big deal there, that word seed. Chapter 12, it gives the covenant, through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Verse 13, yet I will also make a nation of, this, of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So of course, there is a, a nation born out of uh, Ishmael, in fact, many nations. God honors him. It says, because he is the seed of Abraham. Interesting. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. It must have been heartbreaking to him to do this. Then she, Hagar, departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God um, called. Hagar out of heaven, and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and he became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Remember, Hagar was from Egypt. You know, again, it it says here in verse 9, it says that Ishmael had been scoffing, mocking at the young child. I tell you, mocking... The children of God are the people of God. It's a very serious thing. And even when you're speaking about another church, another denomination, and you, you better be careful not to mock them for some practice that they do or this or that. Because God takes the mocking of his children really, really serious. I mean, it, there, there, there's judgment hanging over your head, I can tell. There's chastening hanging over your head if you're mocking the people of God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the mocker. So you, they, that person, you will not be blessed if you're mocking the, the children of God. And so often I hear Christians mocking other Christians for just for living a Christ-like life. And you know, it's true that sometimes I, you know, sometimes particular Christians who may be a little uh, more in their earlier years, they go overboard and some legalism seeps in in their efforts to try to please the Lord. But don't mock them. You're in dangerous, dangerous territory when you're mocking the children of God, and here we, here we are. You know, and here, here the uh, Ishmael is mocking, and he, he, he's cast out. And he's living in the wilderness of Paran now. Um, he's God's going to make him a mighty nation. Actually, it's it's today that's the Arabic people, who, uh, the the Islamic um, Arabic people um, who descend from from Ishmael. Actually, we have a map. Dave, can we have this map? So he it says here that he dwelt in the land of Paran, verse twenty one. So that's way down here is a land of barren and I, on other days I've actually put up on the projection screen pictures of this area. I mean it's it's crazy. It's like a wilderness. It's desolate. And that's where that's where he goes and that's where he he sort of grows up there. And so Galatians chapter 4, I've mentioned this before, it This very scene that we just read about is referred to by the Apostle Paul, Galatians 4.22. It is written, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, meaning she was a woman of servitude, and the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman, meaning Ishmael, was born according to the flesh meaning in the strength of man, the wisdom of man. It was this idea concocted by Sarah and Abraham together. And he of the free woman through the promise, verse 24, which things are symbolic for. These are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Ironically, that is where... Ishmael went to, We went down to the area. of Can we have the projection one more time, Dave? Mount Sinai is, um, is right down there in Perrin. Right here, I'm going to guess, right there. All right, so there's Mount Sinai. Ironically, that's where he went to live, Ishmael did. For Hagar is Mount Sinai, Galatians 4.25, in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we, verse 28, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. The law, legalism, the law, even the law, there's there's a legalistic, a pharisaical part of you which will persecute the Spirit and your spirit life. It will persecute you. It'll try to keep you down. It'll try to draw you into bondage. Verse 30 of Galatians 4, Nevertheless, what does does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. It's interesting that, man, even a little bit of works in your life, even a little bit of Phariseeism, is that how you say it? <laughs> Something like that. You better cast it out. You better just be asking the Lord, can you identify those parts? And maybe, because, you know, I have seen what I have seen in denominations where there is just, you may look at them from afar and see, you know, they have, they've got this little piece of legalism there. But it's never little, because behind it there's always just a enormous amount of legalism. You know, I think of the Seventh Day Adventists. God bless their soul. But but you know, if you're out of God's will, you're in sin. If you're not worshiping the Lord um, on Saturday, even though Colossians chapter two makes it, let no man judge you by what Sabbath day you you recognize. Say, well, you know. Yeah, they have that thing. But the thing is, is behind that, there's so much more. So, so many other laws. So many of the things they're supposed to follow. Dietary laws. And, 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 and this type of thing, notwithstanding that 1 Timothy says, all creatures you may eat of, as long as you give thanks before eating them. It's so a little bit of legalism. Watch out because it doesn't stay little. It grows. There's a cult, a well-known cult, in, in this city and it's spread actually to all over the country. If you are not baptized in their church, you are not going to heaven. They use all the same terminology we do, just in a different way. You say, well, you know, not so bad. They have just this one thing and you know, they believe in Jesus just like we do. You have to make Jesus your Lord but if you get behind what they believe, there's so many other things that they have. Legalistic tendencies that just, and we have a number of folks in our church who have come from, from this cult and it's mind-boggling, frankly, the control that they try to exercise over the members of their congr- congregation just through the law. And it says here in Galatians, cast out the bondwoman, quoting Genesis chapter 21. you get got to cast that legalism out of your life. So important, so very important. And so then, it says in verse twenty-two, and it came to pass that at that time Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his army, so Abimelech was somewhere right around here. Some, no, no, wait, wait, what am I looking at here? Yes, yeah, somewhere around here is uh, is Abimelech. Abraham had had come down uh, there. <clears throat> As we said last week, major question mark whether he should have left Canaan and come down to that area, but um, they came to Abraham, verse 22, Genesis 21, and said, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me by God that you will not do- deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I did not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep. And Oxen gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven. You is it you? You. Ew. 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 Do they have ew lambs in Kenya? Okay. Ew lambs. No, oh, no. Where am I? Someone want to tell me where I am. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, "What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have uh, set by themselves?" And he said, "You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this." Well, therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days." Interesting here that so Abimelech and his general come to Abraham in verse um, 22 and say, God is with you in all that you do. So here's a guy that's way, way, way more powerful, has far, far more resources than Abraham does. Abraham is just this small nomadic tribe that's hanging out in his territory. But Abimelech has noticed, I don't want to mess with this guy. And it is obvious that God is with them. Isn't that interesting? And one of the things that I repeat over and over, I have just a a, it's a big sort of burden to, to teach and remind the flock here at Calvary Chapel in the city that in your workplace, it is such a full-time ministry because God will see you or rather people will see you, even the boss, is boss's boss will see you, and they'll say, you know, that person's different. And just this morning, someone just got saved through the ministry of, of Calvary Chapel in this city in the last four months because uh, someone at their work, you know, during their lunch, this uh, was one of our, our ladies here would read their Bible during lunch and this type of thing, and so this other woman noticed, so what's all that about? And she says, oh, I'm a Christian. So this other woman gets her Bible, gets the website here, online sermon, starts to listen to our sermon, and just got radically saved right at home. Now she's just loving Jesus, and she's so excited and happy. What was all that about? Well, because this seemingly inconsequential lady who is at her work, she saw the difference in her life. What a beautiful story. Now here you have this king coming to Abraham, says, proactively coming to him. Listen, God is with you in all that you do. What can we do so you won't mess with us, so you will, we will be blessed by you? It says that Abraham rebuked him. He says, if you're, really, if you're really honest about this thing, why is it this well of water that we dug? Verse 30. We dug this well. Your guys took it over. So look, If I, I want to see actions here. Actions speak louder than words. Let's make a covenant. And so he set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves and there was this covenant made Um, between them. So a beautiful picture there. As he called that place, verse 31, Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. So Beersheba, the very, very southern place of Israel now. We have a worship leader who comes here from time to time, Anthony Chapman from Israel. He's here last year he's been peace of led worship here half a dozen times that's where he lives in Beersheba and so uh it's the southernmost part of Israel chapter 22 oh man underline every every single verse in this chapter this is you know you don't have to I'm just that's hyperbole but this is this is a chapter i mean if you're Picking out chapters of the Bible that are important, I mean, this is, this is right up there. One of the most glorious foreshadowings of the death of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse, tw- verse 1 of chapter 22 says, Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham, God will do that to you. He'll test you. He doesn't test you in order for you to fall into evil. To fall, He tests tests you to. He tests you to pass the test. Although sometimes we don't pass, but He does it for our growth. He does it for our edification. The Book of James says He doesn't tempt us. For evil, for the purpose, because he likes to, oh wow, I want to see them fall into evil. But he does test us for our good. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, Here am I. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, what's that about? Your only son, Isaac. It's interesting that um, obviously we know, we just read about it, another son he had, Ishmael, through Hagar. But he calls Isaac his only son, that in a very real way, the works of the flesh God doesn't see. And Hebrews chapter 10, quoting, I don't remember, somewhere in the Old Testament, it says that God, when we're, when we're in Christ, he remembers our sin no more. It's an act of the flesh. Amazing, amazing statement of grace here. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So it says one of the mountains. Hmm. It's the land of Moriah to one of the mountains there. More on that later. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you so Isaac at this point we know is probably around seventeen years old some people say he's as much as thirty they call him a lad the word can be used for a young man but we know just from the dating of of um, of when Ishmael was sent off. And Ishmael was 14 years old when he was sent off, when he was mocking um, Isaac. He's he's probably about 17 years old here. So he's doing it willingly. This is important because it's a foreshadowing of Christ. Jesus, what he did on going to Golgotha, he he did it willfully. He didn't have to allow himself to be arrested. He presented himself to the people who came to arrest him. He did it willingly. So Abraham rose early. Rather, it says in verse 6, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac and his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And so the imagery of laying on Isaac the wood, it's unmistakably a foreshadowing of Jesus taking the cross, To Calvary. I'm told that in the Mishnah, a Jewish Mishnah, and this is not Messianic Jews writing, this is just the Jewish Mishnah writing about the imagery of Genesis 22, documents Mishnah were, rather, not the Mishnah, the Midrash, which is. Um, Jewish extra biblical writings written before and after uh, the life of Christ likens the imagery here to a Roman method of execution these are non-christian's writing where they which was sometimes used on Jewish martyrs this imagery is like a person who carries a cross on his own shoulder to their death that's a Jewish writing in the Midrash. Sometimes people say, oh, you Christians, you look at the Bible and you see Jesus all over the place where Jesus is. Well, there's a a non-Christian saying the same thing there. He took the wood and put it on his son and laid it, verse 6, on Isaac, his son. This must have been an unbelievable test of faith for Abraham. And that all the promises that he had been given were tied up in Isaac. And here he is told that you need to go and sacrifice him. Now we know that God never really intended him to kill his son Isaac because we know that um, from what happens in the story. And it appears from the book of Hebrews that even Abraham knew that somehow that Isaac was never going to be sacrificed. It says in the book of, of Hebrews that Abraham, by faith, knew that even if Isaac died, he was, God was going to raise him from the dead. It says in Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 5 it says, he responds to, um, to his young men, say here, and I'll go yonder and worship, and, I, and we, plural, include Abraham and Isaac, will come back to you but nevertheless just a tremendous test of his faith now it's a, this is this is a burnt offering he's carrying a, a fire up there it says verse 3 a burnt offering burnt offering we will learn in exodus and leviticus was an offering of full consecration they offered the whole animal the whole animal was consumed and it's, a full, it, it's, it's an absolute surrender to the will of God. Obedience, surrender. Obedience to the will of God. I recently started a, a devotional, Daily with the King, and I'm just so incredibly blessed by this devotional. Just Every day he's been just hitting the, the ball out of the park. He says this on January 9, true obedience is always successful. It always accomplishes God's will. It is immaterial to me whether my cancer is cured, my promotion achieved, or my loved one is saved. If I have obeyed, that is enough. I am successful. Beyond that, it is God's business. And there's a joy that does result from that kind of absolute surrender, but that's the surrender that God wants. That God tests. We, he gives us tests, and He's looking for that kind of surrender. The foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ here is, you know, it's 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 also, um, as we know from John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is your only son, Isaac, I want to take. And it says, your only son, Isaac, whom you loved. And Jesus is referred repeatedly as the beloved of the Father. This wonderful foreshadowing. Now amazingly, the Islamic faith... Um, they believe the Bible has been corrupted and that somehow Jews and Christians, they substituted Ishmael's name with Isaac's name here. It's, it's pretty amazing that that's what they believe. Um, I tell you, if you do that, though, I mean, as fantastic and, as that... Is that interpretation? Is it just is like, why you're kidding, right? No, no, that's that's what happened. This is going to be only the beginning of their problems because so many things in the Bible are traced to Isaac, and including genealogies and all kinds of other stuff. So if there was someone altering this document, oh man, this is just the first place that they had to take out their scalpel and it's clear that God Bible is God breathed and God has been faithful to to preserve the 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 Old Testament the book of Genesis in good form which by the way we learn from Daniel Messiah the Quran itself says that that this Bible the Old Testament God is faithful to preserve it in good form and And this is one of the ways of of witnessing to someone of the Islamic faith is look at all these verses which says that God will preserve the book, the holy book, the Old Testament. In any event, this this test here that we read about, Mount Moriah, And we know from 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 that it was in the area of Moriah that Solomon built the temple. It's the piece of land that Solomon's father David purchased from Ornan the Jebusite. Remember what Ornan said to David? David said, I want to buy this. Oh, I'll give it to you for free. And he says, I don't want to sacrifice that which cost me nothing. He, he, he buys this land here. The, the temple is built there. And there's controversy as to whether or not th- where Abraham builds this altar is the very place where Jesus Christ died on Calvary, and so, what do I believe? Well, um, my opinion is as valuable as yours. I, I think there is a strong argument that Jesus was crucified in the very place. the The objection that people usually make to Jesus dying on the very place of the altar is is, is Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse one, where it says that um, in, in Second Chronicles three verse one that that's where the temple was built. But the problem is is that it says there, in verse two, it's the land of Moriah on one of the mountains, of which I tell you. Now I am told by people who are experts or have read people who are experts on the matter that these kind of, of sacrifices, would always have been made at the highest peak. And I'm also told if you go up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, it is not the highest area. You can follow a ridge that goes up to a higher place where it is believed that Jesus was crucified. Not something that necessarily Christians should be beating people up on. However, Genesis 22 is remarkable in the way that it is a foreshadowing of what was done uh, how many thousand years later when Jesus died on the cross. So then it continues here. It says that um, in verse seven, Isaac spoke to Abraham and 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 his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb of God. For a burnt offering. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so familiar, those verses, I believe in Isaiah, where, where it says the Lord looked over all the earth and and, and looked for you know, from whence salvation would come. And he didn't see anyone that could provide the salvation. So so from his own arm, salvation come. It says he, he provided for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So here, Isaac is willingly doing this. This is where he's really a foreshadowing of Jesus. <laughs> Isaac, by this time, knows what's going on. And, I, and, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So some of the commentators on this, you know, Abraham is called in the book of James a friend of God. And, and here is, so deep was the friendship, among other things, so deep was the friendship that, that God wanted him to sort of share in communion, in a communion, a fellowship of what it was like to have his only son be offered up. And and that was one of God's intentions here that he so you know that, that that he so loved Abraham here he he wanted him to experience a similar thing that he would experience through the death of his own son Jesus Christ or the offering of his own son. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And so we belonged on the cross. Instead of us on the cross, God provided another lamb, Abraham. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verse 15 Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that a wonderful thing where from time to time God reminds us of different promises that he's made to us? And he reminds him here of the promise he made to him in Genesis chapter 12. Because you have obeyed my voice, end of verse 18. Verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor. Now, interesting two names. Huz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. There you go, moms. There's some names, first two sons. Huzz and Buzz. Come on, get with it. Let's biblical names. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, that's another good one, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. And that's supposed to get our attention there. Rebekah, of course. This is why this little genealogy there is given, because uh, Rebekah is going to be Isaac's wife. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Remla, also bore Teba, Gaham, Thahash, and Maka. And so a remarkable chapter should be an encouragement to everyone here. that when Jesus Christ came into the earth came into the world it wasn't like this new thing as Paul said was it to the I can't remember who he said it to in one of his sermons it what happened with Jesus didn't happen in a corner in other words it's not like it was new news if you look into the old testament all over the old testament there were foreshadowings of his coming and what would happen to him just a wonderful message for that It's also a great message for for, for parents here. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I I heard about the president of some missionary organization giving a a presentation at a large conference and and declaring to everyone what the biggest hindrance to missions was in in terms of um, missions that were originating in America. It wasn't money, lack of money. It was parents, Christian parents, Christian parents who just feared to do the same thing that Abraham did and offer their kids to the Lord. And I I always just see this so often. We're going to have the parenting classes coming up, which which we're going to be giving, but one thing that saddens my heart deeply is parents giving into fear. And cloistering their children so much, they're literally preparing them for a rebellion. It's awful, <laughs> and it and it and it happens so much. And there's consequences to it. We need to give our children over to the Lord, just as Abraham did. Okay, we finished the last 10 or 15 minutes on Sunday nights in prayer, little groups of four and five. If you could get to little groups of four and five, I believe.